Hey, I just got to tell you, what we've been preaching on is probably the most relevant thing that one could be preaching on in American culture today. Can I get an amen? Amen. Every single week, I have people send me stuff, horrible stuff, about the crazy confusion and chaos uh, that's happening in our culture. And I just want to remind you all that our job is not to hide from the chaos. Our job is to transform the chaos into something beautiful and orderly and God-glorifying. Amen? So at this church, we don't run from tough issues. We run into tough issues. And we bring truth to tough issues because without the truth, we live in bondage. Amen? But this issue of identity is massive. And I told you all before, I wish we could just, you know, be the church that we just hide in the four walls and we just, let's just love everybody and let's just be full of grace and it'll all go away. Have you all figured out it ain't going away? And every single one of us has been touched or will be touched in a personal way if we don't have enough courage to stand up and say no, and if we don't have a cur- enough courage to stand up and actually declare the truth about what we believe as the people of God. Now, I share this all the time on our podcast, and I hope if you haven't watched the podcast yet, I hope you'll tune in and listen because we go, we take a deep dive into some of these issues. Uh, but I shared on that podcast, we are committed to the superiority of the Christian worldview. When I say superiority, I'm not being arrogant, cocky, prideful. I'm being accurate and true. The Christian worldview elevates people everywhere because it corresponds with the truth of God's word. It leads to the best life possible for every single human being on planet Earth. I would scream that from the mountaintops if someone gave me the biggest megaphone. That would be my my message to the world, is that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the the life, the way maker. Come on, we sang about it this morning. And... uh, And when we declare that boldly, stuff happens. People's lives get transformed. The Word of God activates the power of God and the presence of God. When you speak the Word, it doesn't come back void. It it accomplishes what it was sent to do. We have got to be more bold now about these issues than ever before. The emperor is totally naked, and we need to tell people, hey, he's naked. Uh, That's not true. That is a mess. That's crazy. Uh, but you're not going to be able to avoid it or hide from it. So the purpose of this series has been to equip you with foundational biblical truth about how God made you, how God created and designed you, and, and so that you could have an identity that's unshakable in a culture where everything is, seems to be melting under our feet. Nothing seems to be firm. So you all with me? So... I'm not patting myself on the back, but uh, I do think we're speaking the word of the Lord to what's going on in our culture today, and I hope you're listening, and more than listening, I hope you're acting on it. And I'll just say this, don't anybody act in fear. Always act in faith. We sang about Jesus being the triumphant king. He hasn't changed. His identity is still the same. We win. Every time the church shows up, we win. So we're not going, oh, my goodness. No, no, no. We're not, that's not ever our approach. That's very ugly on Christ's bride uh, when she's biting her nails and freaking out. That's ugly. So we're going to keep moving with joy. We're going to keep moving in confidence. We're going to keep speaking the word of the Lord. We're going to keep loving and serving. But we're not going to back down until we see transformation occur. Because isn't that part of what it means to make disciples of all nations? Yes. Isn't that the Great Commission? 
I mean, how can we keep our mouths silent at a time when there's such perversion, such confusion, such pain, when we're called to transform nations? It is a dereliction of duty for the church to shrink back and freak out when we're called to speak out and lead and call to watch the Lord do what only he can do, which is heal broken people. Amen? So uh, you're at the right place. We've just begun. Things are getting really exciting. The enemy has us surrounded, which as one soldier said, which is good news, that means we cannot miss our enemy. They're, they're, they have us completely surrounded. Uh, they're easy to find. Uh, our enemy, again, is not people. It's bad, wicked ideas, amen, uh, that are full of lies and untruths, and those, that's what we're going after. So uh, to that end, I shared with you in the previous weeks, we have been given an incredible privilege of being made in the image and likeness of God. What an incredible privilege. But with every privilege comes incredible responsibility. And the short version is simply this. We've been made free to, to make choices, to make judgments, to dream, to create, to rule, to reign. Uh, and with those choices comes the responsibility to honor God. How many of you know Adam and Eve bombed the responsibility test? And they acted as our test representatives. Uh, they were the ones that took the exam for humanity. So we failed the exam as well as the Bible teaches. Um, and unfortunately, when that happened... Uh, our identity after the fall has completely shifted it. And I want to talk to you today about the image disfigured. What happened to, to our identity? What happened to our nature as a result of the fall? Because it will help you understand why the world is as messy as it is today. And I want to pause right now and just uh, do something kind of fun. So I'm going to have Matthew, my assistant, my, my high-tech assistant, come help me so I don't mess this up. Did anybody feel like you're just a low-tech person in a high-tech world? All right. That's me. Like, whatever I touch that's electrical or something like that, I'm supposed to, my wife tells me, if you just push the button twice on the handle on the car, it opens the whole car. I'm pushing and nothing happens, ever, ever. And she walks up, beep, beep, unlock the car. So um, I'm just telling you, I, I could not do this without you. It's great. No. All right. But I, th these gals up here on the front row, they're amazing. They're, they're like middle school. Are you guys all still in middle school or no one's married yet, right? High school? Three of you are married? No, that's good. All right. Do you guys mind? I want to do, do a selfie. Is that okay? Do you guys mind if we just pause to do a selfie? Now, if you're new here, you're like, what kind of church is this? Okay. All right. We good? It's up to you. Yeah. All right. You knew this was coming because I told you to save me. Seat. But I need all you guys to lean in, all right, so that we can get you in this picture, all right? And smile. Smile really big. Smile really big. <laughs> wow, your nose is really big. Wow. Let me see what's going on down here. Wow, you guys are beautiful. Look at that. Look at that. I'm going to have a little fun here. Oh, oh, my goodness. Wait a minute. Not that one. Oh, there we go. That looks better. Oh, yeah, what a beautiful child. Who's your parents? Your, oh, those teeth are spectacular. Those teeth are amazing. Anyway, all right, sorry, sorry, sorry. Now, I'm going to let you into the Johnson family secret. We don't have a big budget at our house for fun. We have eight kids, pastor salary, unlike most of you think, you know, most pastors are not filthy rich and all that kind of stuff. So we're just kind of humble people. We live down the street. And at holidays... Um, we just get a computer out, and 
my mom's there with us. And uh, when you make my, my mom's eyes big or something like that, she will laugh. And when she laughs, the laughter is just entertainment. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Now, on one Christmas, we spent probably like maybe three hours. And you're all going, are you kidding? It's our family. When we get together, we have two things. We have fun and we laugh a lot. And sometimes we use technology. Now, there's nothing cooler than turning into a cartoon character. Isn't that cool? I mean, that is awesome stuff. I did that little fun thing because while we can look at that and laugh for hours, here's the, here's the question I want you to ask. What was in God's heart after we sinned and rebelled? And the Bible says the image of God was not ruined. It was not gone, but it was terribly disfigured. Like, if you went into your room and one of your children, you put them to bed at night and you went in to check your little infant and they looked like one of those faces on the screen, you would not be laughing. You would be going, what happened to my child, all right? We laugh here, but if that was real life, you would not be laughing. You would be terrified. You would be heartbroken. What happened as a result of the fall? I want you to go back and look with me at Genesis 3.3. 3. This is Eve speaking, so when it says God said, she, she's actually doing the speaking and stating or restating what she thought God said, because as we saw last week, she kind of got that wrong. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. Now, obviously, God did not add the second part about touching it. God just said, don't eat it. He said, if you eat of the fruit, you will die. I mean, you know, that's a pretty clear instruction. If you eat of the fruit, you're going to die. You can eat of all this other fruit, but you can't eat that fruit. And look at what we said Satan's response was in verse 4. You won't die. How many of you know the devil will always contradict what God says? And you have to know what God said, or else you will not know when Satan contradicts it. And when I say Satan, it's not always him directly. It's lost people. It's the world. It's the media. It's higher education. It, there's a whole lot of folks out there that will tell you just the opposite of what God said. And if you don't know what God said, you'll believe a lie. And if you believe a lie, you'll end up paying the consequences for that lie. So Satan's really bold here. He said, God didn't say that. Look at verse 5. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And then you're going to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. I shared with you last week, this is, Satan's not real bright. He's not real creative. God had already told them that they were made in his image and likeness. This isn't anything new. But Satan's tempting them to go above and beyond uh, what God's degree of likeness was. They were not meant to be the source of determining good and evil. Now, let me just show you how crazy we are now. How does one determine good or evil, right or wrong, or one's identity in our culture today? It is based on a psychological internal impression based upon feeling. So if you feel like you're trapped in the wrong body, you are. Or if you feel like you're a cat, then schools have to put litter boxes in the back of the classroom to accommodate you. And lest we laugh, this is happening. There are universities that have sororities made especially for girls who think they're cats and they have litter boxes. Now, this is funny, except this is not funny. This is the disfigurement of people made in the image and likeness of God, Amen. acting like animals. You will be like God. You're going to know good and evil. How many of you know God is the source of good 
and evil. God gets to make up the rules. And can I just tell you something? It's government's job to base laws uh, that are punishable as crimes based upon God's determination of good and evil, not the politicians. The scary thing is when fallen human beings who are disfigured begin to eat of the fruit and begin to think they get to make up what's good and evil, then what happens is we actually promote evil and we hate what's good, and good people end up going to jail for simply standing up for what God says is good. This is a tremendous mess. We're still, we're still living with the mess today. Look at what it says, what happened. Verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was being passive and being a wimp and not leading his wife. Her husband who was standing with her, he ate it too because he made an idol out of his wife and chose her over God. At that moment when he should have been stomping on the serpent's head and taking dominion, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Notice this is the entry of shame. We talked about shame for a long time at Living Stones. Shame is that nagging feeling that you're not enough, that you're a failure, that you'll never measure up, that you don't have what it takes, that you've been exposed, that that you're uncovered. And all of a sudden there's a realization of shame. And look what they did next. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. One of the joys of the encounter weekend is that men get to take off the fig leaves And we get to deal with the mess and the brokenness and the deformity that's happened in our spirits so that we can be healed. Can I just say this? The beauty of the church of Jesus Christ when we're living the way we should be is that we're all a bunch of broken people at a hospital at various degrees of healing. And the beauty comes when you're in a safe enough environment to realize that you can come public with your brokenness. And what's brought into the light gets healed and forgiven and restored and cleansed. What's kept in the darkness keeps you in bondage for the rest of your life and keeps you disfigured and broken. The church is a place of incredible vulnerability, transparency. We're free, and we're free because whom the sun sets free is free indeed, but you've got to bring the junk out into the light. You've got to get rid of your fig leaf, otherwise you'll spend the rest of your days hiding from God when you were meant to have fellowship with God. I told you last week, don't fall for the lie. You know, there might be some people saying, well, you know, I'm just, I'm seeking truth. I'm, I'm seeking, you know, God. Um, and I told you last week, when we're in our fallen condition, nobody seeks God. There's not anybody seeking God. There are people who are approaching God on their own terms, wanting God to jump through some hoops for them, but that's not how you find God. You find God on your face in humility and brokenness, crying out for mercy. That's how you find God. You don't find God by making uh, laws or decrees uh, that God has to perform a certain way for you to believe in him. You're going to be waiting a long time. I shared with you last week, sinners seek God in the same way that criminals seek police officers. There's nobody that's a convicted felon running from the law that's looking to find a police officer to build a relationship with him. And let me just tell you this, there's not a sinner on planet Earth that's ever truly seeking God to have a relationship with him. By nature, we don't do that. It's against our nature because we're broken and we're disfigured and we're marred. So I want you to take a look at three tragic results of the fall. First of all, how many of you know Adam and Eve went from a God-centered life to a self-centered life. 
Now, if I were to write a book on, on how to have a happy marriage, it would be a really short book. It would be one sentence. Quit being selfish. Amen. I don't know if it would sell many copies. <laughs> that would be the book I would like to write because I think I could write it pretty quickly. Short editing, all that kind of stuff, some pictures for us guys. Um, We were created completely oblivious of ourselves. Think about this. We were created to enjoy God. What do we think about? The Lord. What do we think about? If I'm Adam, I'm thinking about Eve. Eve's thinking about Adam. Uh, it was an amazing arrangement. And when sin came in, everything gets turned upside down. How many of you know you are a spirit? You have a soul, mind, will, and emotions. You live in a body. Yeah. This is what happened at the fall. Talk about disfigured. The devil s turns us inside out and upside down. So now, check this out. How do people make decisions today, and what is the basis of their decision? Most people make decisions on the basis of one thing. Pleasure doesn't make me feel good. We are bodies. We have souls. And our spirit is completely dead, the Bible says, and cut off from God. Everything turned upside down. Think about what the world would be like. If I were to ask you, if I asked a typical person, who are the happiest people in the world? If you went through the grocery you know, store and you're checking out, you would think that the happiest people in the world all live in the same place. Hollywood. Most beautiful people, most wealthy people, most self-absorbed people, most broken people. Most miserable people. See, I don't know this is true. To the degree that I can't focus on anybody but myself, I will be broken, dysfunctional, small, uh, self-centered, narcissistic, and I will make everybody around me miserable. But Jesus said this, if you lose yourself, you find life. Do you know who the happiest people are? The people that don't think about themselves. People that love people. People that love the Lord. People that look to bless other people. People that aren't looking to take, but they're looking to give their lives away. They're the happiest people on planet Earth. And there's the supernatural joy that comes off of a person who has been delivered. See, see here's the deal. You're not my biggest problem. And if I walk out the doors, the people out in the world are not my biggest problem. My biggest problem sleeps with me every night. No, it's not my wife either. It's my... <laughs> my big... <laughs> Just to clarify. My, my biggest problem is me. And if you're getting married because your spouse is going to make you happy, you're going to ruin both of you. You'll make him or her miserable, and you'll be miserable. I'm speaking some good truth here. But if you lay your life down and ask Jesus to come and take center stage, you'll find incredible joy in your life. Our problem is we lost our God-centeredness. Listen to what Thomas Merton said. One of the effects of original sin is an instinctive prejudice in favor of our own selfish desires. We see things as they are not because we see them centered on ourselves. Fear, anxiety, greed, ambition, 
and our hopeless need for pleasure all distort the image of reality that was reflected in our minds. Now, this is why we need each other in the body of Christ. By nature, even after I'm saved, can I just, does anybody struggle even after you're saved with still being selfish? Let me just help you. If you really want to see what's still inside of you, go on a fast for maybe three days and don't eat any food. Or how about this one? Be late or you cannot be late and just see what comes out of you. Now, some people are like, be late. What is that? What's the problem with that? Yeah, you're the person that drives people like us crazy. <laughs> you're the person that makes my self-centeredness manifest. And I want to thank you for that because you help me be more like Jesus. See, you're not my problem. I'm my problem. And I need you to help show me my blind spots because I have glasses on, and so do you, that every time I look, I naturally, by nature, because I am deformed and broken, I naturally, by nature, view the situation from my vantage point. I don't have to work at this. I'm an expert at it. I do it like breathing, and so do you. We have law enforcement folks out here. David Crane, where are you at? Third row back, running for sheriff. Thank you, sir, and thank you for all your, your years. Um, let, me, let me boil it down. What would we need to do to get rid of, of the need for law enforcement? We would have to get rid of every single human being on planet Earth. Because what is the source of the need for law enforcement? It's selfishness. Why are there wars? Selfishness. Why are there marriage problems? Selfishness. Why are there problems among families? Because people in the family get selfish. And when selfishness happens, chaos breaks out everywhere. And our world is full of chaos. Listen to what God says about things. Jeremiah chapter 2. My people have done two evil things. First of all, they've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. The first thing we do is we act like we don't need God. But look at what we do next. They have dug for themselves cracked cisterns. We might say cracked pots, all right? That can hold no water at all. So we reject God. We fashion pots that have cracks in them. And then we try to run and fill up the water that we need for life by ourselves. While we're holding it under the spigot, it's running out the bottom as fast as it can because they're cracked pots. I mean, you know you're sitting next to a cracked pot here this morning. And, and a crack pot is speaking to you right now. The prophet Isaiah says it this way. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. What would happen in the marketplace if we actually created a parallel kingdom marketplace where people were concerned about wins for everybody involved? What would happen if we say, wait a minute, I, I, I want to do this deal, but I want you to get as much blessing out of this deal as I'm going to get out of this deal? What would happen if we actually lived selflessly in the marketplace instead of selfishly looking for our own personal gain? Everyone, one and all, turning to their own way, seeking their own gain, all right? So that, that's a major problem. Can you get an amen on that one? Moving from God-centeredness to self-centeredness is a massive deformity in our, in our identity. How about this one? Moving from spiritual life to spiritual death. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, as for you, Paul speaking, you were dead in your transgression and sins 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and you were under the ruler of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I want, you, I want to highlight something. The Bible does not say that the fall made you sick. The Bible says that the fall killed you. What part of you died? Your spirit. Your spirit. The part that was made to relate to God. So when you're born into this world, you're not a good person, you know, you know on your way to heaven, you hope, and all this guy. No, no. The, the Bible says you come into this world stillborn. You're dead. Spiritually dead. I just want that to sink in. We don't need counseling. We don't need self-help methods. You need a resurrection. And dead, dead people, please hear me, dead people don't help. Hey, help me out with this resurrection. No, you're dead. You're, you're unresponsive. You're unaware. You don't, you don't even know that you're dead. That's how, that's how dead you are. You're oblivious to the fact that you're dead. There are people who say, you know, I just I don't know about that God thing. Yeah, I know you don't know nothing about the God thing because you're dead. You can't know God on your own ability if you tried. You need the mercy of God. You need the grace of God in your life. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. You are dead. You're dead to spiritual things. You're dead to your ability to relate to God. You're dead to living for his glory as we were created to do. And dead people don't meet conditions. They don't perform. They don't help. They need a resurrection. Third thing, we've gone from a garden paradise to a physical curse. We live in a cursed earth. Can I just say this? We're in the time of year when seasons change and people get, uh, you know, cold, flu, et cetera, et cetera. Why does all that happen? Romans chapter 8 says the entire earth is groaning right now. God didn't create the earth with sickness and disease and all these things. That's not how he created it. And thank God for the cross and for Jesus because we can experience healing in his name. Amen? But the point is we are living in bodies that are groaning. Did any of you fulfill Romans 8 when you got out of bed this morning? Oh, whoa. Why is that happening? Because this ain't heaven. And because we're living on a planet that's been cursed. Now, let me just say something. There's all kinds of false prophets out in the culture today. Whenever anything happens in the environment, our groaning earth, they blame it on climate change. I, I, I get my feet every day. And I just, I start talking, I start preaching every morning. I start preaching at my phone. Because here's what they're saying. Whenever anything goes wrong in the environment, it's man-caused. No, Romans 8 says, planet Earth is groaning now. It has been subjected to futility because of the fall. The planet is not how God created it. The rumblings are going to increase, and here's why this is important. The world will blame it on climate change, and they'll want all your tax dollars, and they'll want you, you know, uh, driving battery-operated cars. Remember, guess what California's doing? Um, and if you have a battery-operated car, bless your heart. I'm all for free markets. But the point is this. They will constantly blame uh, human beings for the condition of planet Earth when God's trying to get your attention. Yes. Yeah. And I shared this before, and I believe it with all my heart. States that honor God and their policies will experience the favor of God and the blessing of God on their people. Now, I'm going to tell you this. The hell, the hell that is breaking loose, the hell that is breaking loose in California 
It's not because there's not good Christian people there or nice people there. The hell that's breaking loose is because we have wicked leadership promoting evil. So fires are raging, and you look at some what's happening in the cities, they, they, they look like disaster zones. You look at violence that's increasing in the streets. This is not caused from global warming. This is caused from human falling. Yes. And you, you watch me. You will see states where one state is promoting blatant evil, and they're suffering with a drought, and the state right next door is having bountiful crops. Because the state next door is promoting righteousness. And you will see a distinction between states that are operating under the principles of God's word where he promises blessing and states that look like absolute hell holes. Can you say that as biblical? Hell is a big biblical place. Hell holes because people have rejected God. God will not be mocked what people sow, they reap, and God's trying to get in the midst of that squalor and deformity. God is trying to release his mercy and forgiveness if people will turn to him. The problem is we're not too bright. Let's talk about this disfigurement very quickly that has taken place. I want to talk about three areas. Even though we're made in the image of God, every aspect of our lives has been distorted or lost because of the fall. Let's take a look at our hearts. First of all, the Bible says we have corrupted hearts. The heart is the center of our desires and our affection. King Solomon called the heart the wellspring of life. So out of your heart comes the wellspring of life. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 that the basic impulse of the heart is towards evil. The Bible also says in Ezekiel that our hearts are called stony hearts because they're so hardened toward God. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 24 says this, God speaking, my people would not listen to me. They kept doing whatever they wanted, following the stubborn desires of their evil hearts. Notice they went backward instead of going forward. Let me give you a little help here. When somebody accuses you, and I've been accused of this many times, of being on the wrong side of history, that's confirmation from the devil that you're on the exact right side of history because people by nature are going backwards. They're not going forwards. People by nature are following the desires of their evil hearts. They're not listening to God. They're doing whatever they want, whenever they want, and they're heading backwards. They're not, you know, the word progressive is a funny term. Because there isn't any progression of anything except evil and backwardsness, all right? So you don't want to be a progressive. You want to be a person who honors the Lord Jesus Christ and follows his word. Theologian A.W. Pink said this, This hardness evidences itself by a complete absence of spiritual sensibility so that the heart is unmoved by the goodness of God. It has no awe of his authority or his majesty, no fear of his anger or vengeance. A presentation of the joys of heaven or the horrors of hell make no impression upon the person who is uh, by nature fallen and unredeemed because they have no sensibility to the things of God, no appreciation for God because their spirit is dead and cut off from God. I mean, this is a terrible disfigurement. Now, please hear me. You're like, Pastor, you're not really encouraging us today. Hang in there. I'm painting an accurate picture of how Satan has absolutely warped and disfigured you and I 
And then next week, I'm going to talk about what God's chosen to do about it. So this is a two-part harmony, all right? But I'm telling you, we're a mess apart from Jesus. Planet Earth is a mess. The kids have all been disfigured. There's serious brokenness taking place, and we can see it all around us. Look at what he says in Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Now, this just tells you about being on the wrong side of history. How are we telling young people today to determine what's true for them? Listen to your And your heart is desperately wicked and will absolutely lead you astray 100% of the time. And we're saying, listen to your heart. Honey, it's okay. If you want to be a cat, that's okay. Mommy will fix it. There are sororities in college dedicated to young women who think they're furries, they're cats, and they have litter boxes. God help us. This is called, ready for higher education. Run from higher education. And run from higher education. I'm not making this stuff up. What does God think when people made in his image and likeness can't figure out that they're not an animal? Or worse yet, act like an animal. What an absolute perversion of people made to look and act like God himself. And it's everywhere. Second thing, very quickly. The Bible says we now have depraved minds. Fallen human beings are incapable of understanding, much less doing, the will of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts. You know, when your heart is turned off against God and hardened, your mind goes, it's like someone turned the lights out. And what amazes me is you can demonstrate to people that if you do X, Y, and Z, this is the result, and yet lost people just keep digging the hole deeper. Like I want to tell some of our neighboring states that, (laughs) that when you're already a disaster economically, someone should take the shovel out of your hands because you keep digging the hole deeper. This does not make sense. It's beyond capability to understand. It's irrational, illogical, foolish. And yet that's how people think apart from God. And let me highlight something else. Point number three here. Our wills have become enslaved. Now, this is an important principle. Your will is not the master. Rather, it is the servant of both your heart and your mind. Let me show you how this works. Anybody ever been on a diet? I know, this, I know this is threatening, but we're in church. Be vulnerable. Be, be vulnerable. And, you, and you've been really good. And you start losing your weight a little bit. And you don't have to suck in as much with the pipe. You know, guys, the belt, put our pants on. And actually, your belt has a little room there. It's great. You put your thumbs in. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. This feels so good. And then you're driving down the road. And you drive by Dairy Queen. I'm just going to show you how how messed up we are. Your depraved mind starts talking to you. You have been so good. (laughs) You 
you are looking so good. And you're sitting there. There's only you in the car. <laughs> yeah, I feel pretty good. You, didn't, you, didn't, you could actually sit in and the steering wheel was not encroaching upon your ribs or your belly as you feel. You're like, whoa, yeah. And then you go by one of these places like Culver's. And they have the flavor of the day. And you know what's going on. You're like, no way. No way. Not caramel pecan fudge. Turtle brownie delight. Today. What are the odds that I'm driving by today? And it's on the marquee today. And then we, then we spiritualize it. Thank you, Lord, for the sun. Right? We're like, the, prov the providence of God. It's amazing. Thank you for the favor. Lord, it's a sign. You pull, you, you pull right in there. And I want you to see what's happening. Why, why did your will turn the wheel to go into Culver's to eat the flavor of the day? Because two things were ganging up on you. Your heart and your mind. Your passions. I love ice cream. I love ice cream. I love pecans. I love caramel. I love hot fudge. I love the Lord. <laughs> your passions, your passions, right? And then your mind starts negotiating. And listen, we will always sacrifice truth on the altar of our passions. We always sacrifice truth on the altar of our passions. This is why the thing you need most is a new heart. Amen. And only Jesus can give you a heart transplant. Because your heart, your passions, the Bible says, are evil. Now, I'm going to tell a story on myself. Friday's my day off. I love going out with my lovely bride. We were out getting some coffee, and I just glanced up, and I saw two signs on two doors. Same exact sign. Employees only exclamation point. I just was fascinated. I was doing okay until the exclamation point. It, <laughs> you know, there's something about saying something like that strong. Like employees only, but no exclamation point. And I started feeling this drawing in my heart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm serious. Drinking my coffee and I'm like... What is behind those doors <laughs> that only employees with an exclamation point, two signs, two exclamation points, what is behind those doors? And then the Lord brings me right back to the garden when I'm so hard on Adam and Eve and I'm wanting to open that door. No, let me tell you what's behind those doors. Probably cleaning supplies. Who cares? But something in my wicked heart wanted to know why they had to prohibit me from looking in. What are the contents in that closet? Why the exclamation point? If they just would have left that off, I probably would have chilled. But they put the exclamation point, and I found that when, when the Lord said, eat of all the trees, employees only on this one. Why did he not let us eat that tree right there? I mean, I felt the same Impulse, the same drawing in my heart. Listen to what Isaiah says. Why do you continue, speaking for the Lord, why do you continue to invite 
punishment. Must you rebel forever? What a question for us today. Like, how much pain does an individual need to experience through willful rejection of God before you finally stop and go, this is not fun. That's why I love the Encounter Weekend, because men finally put the brakes on, and they go, I don't like the fruit that this is producing. I don't want to do it my way. I want to get changed. I need a new heart. I need a makeover. I need help. Why? Why? Why must you continue to invite punishment into your life? Here's why, though. I want you to see this. Because your head, your thinking, your thought processes is injured, and your heart is sick. So how do you get set free? You got an injured mind or head, and you got a sick heart, and that's why you keep inviting through your rebellion pain into your life. What I'm telling you today is the devil's trying to destroy you. He's warped you. He's twisted you. He's made you dead to everything that's about God and his goodness. He's filled your mind with all kinds of lies about God. He's made you incredibly narcissistic. None of your relationships are flourishing apart from the Lord. You can't figure out why nothing works. And I'm trying to tell you here's why. Because sin has absolutely deformed you. And there's only one person big enough to fix the problem. Titus 3.3 says, at one time, we too, believers, were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. That describes where we were as a result of the fall. Now, I want to share a story with you just to end this morning. And man, the Holy Spirit brought this to my mind with great force. I love it. Just so you say, Pastor, what's your process in, in writing sermons? Let me tell you what it is. I get before God, usually at the start of the week, and I just say, help, because I have to get up and feed people in a week. And Lord, this is what you're working with, and on my best day, I need a lot of help. And then guess what? The helper comes. His name is the Holy Spirit. And sometimes he's adding to my sermons right as I'm talking. It's the coolest thing. So this is not right as I'm talking, but this is like a couple days ago. How many of you remember somebody named Dave Reaver? Okay, not too many of you. I'm aging myself. This is like back 80s. Some of you weren't even born in the 80s. Don't raise your hand. You'll make me sick. I don't even want to see you. <laughs> um, Dave Reaver was a young man, married his, his high school sweetheart. She was 19. He might have been 20. And then he responded to the call to go off to Vietnam. His last words to his newlywed was, Honey, I'll be back. And I'm coming back without a scratch. Six months into his tour, he, they were engaged in combat. He reached in, grabbed a, a phosphorus grenade, pulled out the pin, and as he's getting ready to throw it at the enemy, a sniper shot through his hand, hit the grenade, and exploded a phosphorus grenade about six inches from his face. It melted his ear off, melted his eye out, and burned his body, about three-quarters of his body burned. In fact, they said when the medics rushed to, to, to get him, they put him on the gurney and started taking him to the helicopter, and the phosphorus that had embedded in his body reignited. Imagine your body catching on fire because there's so much phosphorus embedded in your skin. He said, talk about having a bad day. He said, there I am. I blew my fingers off, my eye out, my ear off half my face off, my lips off, my nose off. 
And, uh, and while they're carrying me on the gurney, I reignite and burn through the gurney and fall to the ground. He goes, that's, how, that's when a bad day goes from bad to worse. The guy has a great sense of humor, by the way. They put him in a, t- in, a, in a blanket and wrap him up. And they carry him, ship him off to Japan. After Japan, he gets back to the United States and he's recovering. He said, I did something that I wish I would not have done. I asked the nurse for a mirror. He said, it was the worst decision I made in my life. He said, when I looked in that, at myself in that mirror, and, and I was nothing but burned flesh and scars. My nose is gone, my ears gone, my eyes gone. I'm looking at this mirror through the one good eye that he had left. He said, at that moment, all the hope just left my life. He said, I started thinking about the promise I made to my wife. I started thinking about how in the world she would still love me or choose to stay with me when I look like this. He said, it was so hopeless that I reached up and I grabbed the cord and ripped it out of the wall to kill myself. He said, a couple hours went by and I realized the cord I pulled out was the food cord and I was just getting hungry. (laughs) He said, that's that's a bad way to die. I said, I started smelling pizza. I said, plug it back in, plug it back in. But this is a true story. A woman walked in, the wife of the man in in the bed next to him, who, again, was burned over most of his body. She couldn't even recognize her husband. She picked up the the chart at the end of the bed, recognized that was her husband. She took her wedding band off. She threw it on his chest. She said, you are an embarrassment. I could never walk down the street with you. He's laying in bed next to her, next to him rather, listening to this, realizing his wife is coming in next. Can you imagine? Talk about shame and talk about guilt and talk about feeling like you're not enough, like you're ugly, like you're undesirable. And here's your beautiful 19-year-old bride who wasn't expecting any of this. And he's laying there waiting for her to enter the room, waiting for that kind of rejection, waiting for her to say, you know what, you're too disfigured, you're too broken, you're too messed up for me, and, and I'm, I'm going to do the same thing. Instead, she walks in the room. He's unrecognizable. She grabs his wrist and reads the band with his name on it. She says, Welcome home, Davy, and leans down and kisses his scarred and burned cheek. Welcome home, Davy. He said at that moment, he is overwhelmed with unconditional love, and he's pushing back as hard as he can because he's like, you know what? I don't want, I don't want you with me. I know I got to be an embarrassment. I know I'm terribly ugly, and he starts voicing that. He's like, he's like, you know. I looked in the mirror. I know I'm ugly. I, I, I wouldn't blame you if you would leave. And, and, and she said this, honey, I never married you for your good looks in the first place. <laughs> and in the last, the last video I saw of Dave Reaver, he was talking about his bride, his, his sweetie, his honey, and they had just celebrated 50 years of marriage. And, uh, and what he does, what he does now, what he does now is he ministers exclusively to military men and women who have been 
badly disfigured and broken. But, but, but here's why the Holy Spirit brought that to mind. It's not just an awesome story. This is what the Holy Spirit said to my heart. We're laying there spiritually. Our identities have been shattered. Our image, made in the image of God, our ears blown off, our noses blown off, most of our skin melted on our body. The beautiful creature God created for his glory and pleasure is absolutely a disaster. And we're laying in bed knowing that our Father's going to enter the room, and what's he going to do? Great question, isn't it? There are some of you here this morning, you're like, I'm too far gone. I'm too messed up. I'm too ugly. God wouldn't take me. I, I've made too many bad decisions. I'm too this. I'm too that. You're like Dave Reaver laying in bed waiting for the spouse to show up. And the good news, and we're going to get into this next week, the good news is God the Father walks up to your bed, checks your name, makes sure you're, you're still the same person, gives you a big kiss, it says, welcome home. That's the picture of salvation right there. Welcome home. Welcome home. And then he begins the meticulous process of restoring our brokenness into something that's beautiful. I don't know where you're at, but I know the Holy Spirit's got your number, and I know God's crazy about you. And you know what? I know there are people here today that you just need to say, God, I want you. I need you. Will you please reveal yourself to me? I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. And if you'll humble yourself like that and just let one of our amazing people appear that are so ready to pray with you, just say, I, I need to give my life to Christ. I, I want to experience the true identity of what it means to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God. People will pray with you, all right? Stand to your feet with me. I want to bless you as we get ready to leave. Don't forget about our love offering for the folks over at Restoration House. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now, even as you hover over the chaos at creation, hover over chaos right now. Lord, there's people whose lives are broken and they're far from you and they're full of pain this morning and they're not even sure where they stand with you. But God, you love them and you're for them and you're waiting with arms wide open to welcome them back to you. And I call you in the name of Jesus. Don't leave this place today. The Father is calling you. His arms are outstretched towards you. He loves you. Do not leave here without submitting to the love of the Father and finding your true identity in Christ. Some of you might feel worthless, broken. Life's overwhelmed you. You're just at a low, low place, and you've questioned it whether you should go on. Don't leave here today beaten and downtrodden. The presence of the Lord is here. God wants to touch you. Lord, thank you for your incredible love. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for providing a solution in Jesus to set us free from our brokenness and sin. We give you all the glory, Lord. We love you. We can't thank you enough for all that you've done for us. We love you and we honor you and we give you praise. Bless us, Lord, now as we head out of this wonderful church family and we head out to a world that needs what we have. Everywhere we go this week, Lord, help us to share the good news of Jesus. We love you and we thank you for this privilege. In your mighty name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, have a great afternoon. We love you guys like crazy. If you need prayer, come on down, all right? We want to bless you.